Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to Self-Control Through Torah. I am Modia Silva, a psychotherapist and author based in Toronto, Canada. And this podcast is a weekly podcast that is shared and presented by myself and David Gottlieb, my good friend and study partner of almost two decades. And today is a little shift in in process because David is tied up with um, family obligations and wasn't able to make it for the recording of this week's podcast. So everyone, you get me. This podcast is, um, we think it's a kind of a cool project. We are running this podcast for a year and we are working our way through the Torah, through the weekly portions, the Pashiyat of the Torah. We started back in Bereshit, whenever that was, back in September. <clears throat> and we are looking at each weekly Torah portion through the lens of particular midot or particular character traits. In particular, we're using the 13 traits that are presented in a Musa text called Cheshbon HaNefesh, written by Menachem Lefin, Rabbi Menachem Lefin. We are now in the third week of looking at Nukiyut, uh, the trait of cleanliness, and we'll see a little more with this week's Pasha just what cleanliness might mean to us today as we live our lives wherever we are in the world. So here we go. The, the word nukiyut generally in Musa terms gets translated as cleanliness. But we could also translate for our purposes the word to mean honesty to oneself. So there's, a, there's an aspect of cleanliness or purity. And if you're honest with yourself, then you're going to be pure. Or you need purity to be honest with yourself. The Pele Yoetz, who was a famous Sephardic Musar Rebbe from Bulgaria, his name was Rabbi Eliezer Papo. He lived from 1785 to 1828. He says in his famous work, the Pele Yoetz, that the essence of cleanliness is to be clean from sin. And we'll have to talk a little bit about what we mean by sin, but essentially mistakes. Um, sins defile the soul, he says. And if you sin, you have to repent immediately and thoroughly. So even just in that short um, excerpt from Pelayowaitz, we get a sense of what Nukiyut is, that it is avoiding making um, serious mistakes, mistakes that might uh, cloud our moral judgment or mistakes that might confuse us intellectually or mistakes that might affect our standing in the world by either hurting other people or by just causing distance between ourselves and others. And he goes on to say that if you do make those mistakes, then you have to make amends immediately and thoroughly. So in addition to our standing in the world, it take, if we make that mistake, it takes us away from our straight path towards a relationship with God. And the types of mistakes that we make are both those that we know are mistakes and those that we are actually not sure are mistakes. The first category is addressed through the midah of watchfulness or zuhirut. 
In the second category, the mistake could be made through ignorance or it could be made through dishonesty. And through that dishonesty, we convince ourselves and allow our hearts to believe that something is permissible when it really isn't. This second category requires pure honesty, an honesty of heart, a pure heart, and an honesty of mind. It, it requires an honesty with ourselves, and then this added level of care to avoid mistakes moves us into the category of this midah, um, of nukiyut, of cleanliness. So in pursuing nukiyut, we also need to know that sins or these mistakes cause negative outcomes in both the physical world and the spiritual world, both close to us and afar. This phenomena is described in chaos theory as the butterfly effect, right? So the butterfly effect suggests that if a butterfly flaps its wings in Japan, then halfway around the world, a tornado could result. In other words, we might do something that seems to us very, very small, a minor mistake, but it can compound and compound. And before we know it, it's become a big deal. So... That's the way it is with our actions. We can calculate, we, sorry, we cannot calculate, I want to say. We cannot calculate how much damage we cause with each mistake. So a long time ago, I was thinking about um, sharing an example of a mistake. And um, what came to me was something from a long time ago, close to home. <clears throat> I told my wife about how slowly one of our daughters was eating her breakfast that day. Our daughter, who we thought wasn't listening, called out in protest, that's Losh and Hara. In other words, that's bad speech. In other words, I said something that um, was harmful. It was true. In a sense, I shamed her without realizing she was even listening. So in a few words, I'd made this mistake, according to the Torah, and the first casualties were my daughter, my wife for listening, and myself for speaking it. So it seems more plausible that if I flap my wings in Japan with lush and horror, that halfway around the world, I could store up, stir up, sorry, store up, stir up a spiritual tornado. It calls for a level of awareness in the development of the trait of Nikiut. So that becomes, I want to say that awareness really is the first step in the development of any of these character traits. But the first step for the, in this case would have been, oh, I see my daughter is eating really slowly. I'm having a reaction to it. And now can I look at my reaction before I share that reaction externally? That would be the beginning of development of awareness in cleansing my heart and purifying it. In other words, the trait of Nikiyut. So these mistakes... Is the act the are the actions or inactions resulting from a lack of clarity, right? Whether it's moral clarity or any form of confusion. We see in this week's Pasha, and this week's Pasha, by the way, is Taruma. And in Taruma, we um we learn all about the construction of the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the or or the Mishkan in Hebrew, the Mishkan and the tabernacle were the traveling um, temples, temple, sorry, singular, was the, was the traveling temple um, that traveled with the Israelites through the desert 
until eventually it got replaced with a permanent structure or not permanent structure, but the temple in Jerusalem, right? So what we see is that prior to the sin of the golden calf, the divine God rested with the Israelites everywhere, every place. And then after the sin, the Israelites' mental and spiritual state was so clouded that God could only rest within the, with them in a confined space, namely the Mishkan, the tabernacle. So the restriction was a consequence of their mistakes and their lack of moral clarity or confusion or just simply their lack of nukiyut, their lack of cleanliness. And that's why there are so many laws to address physical cleanliness. Last week, David um, made comment about this colorful shirt that I was wearing and came back later in the podcast and asked me about my orientation or my relationship with my physical um, presentation to the world, the way I dress, the way I look. And I got caught thinking about clothes and I couldn't really think through his question last week. So I'd like to address it today. When we wake up in the morning, according to Jewish law, after saying our first opening words of Modet Anilafanecha, we wash our hands and we do something called nigelvasa. That's the type of washing that we do. We pour water on each hand, alternating. So right, left, right, left, right, left. And ideally, we pour the water in a basin before we even get out of bed, before we even put our feet on the on the ground. Now, it might seem like a, a, a simple thing. It's like, okay, I'm just going to pour some water. But the reason that we're pouring the water is because when we go to sleep at night, they say that sleep is 1 60th of death. And what that means essentially is that chunks of our soul, our neshama, leave our body and go reunite in the in the spiritual realms while we're asleep. And then they come back in the morning. And so if you imagine the soul is pure, that, that the soul you placed in me is tahor, is pure. So if it leaves or a chunk of it leaves at night while I'm sleeping, then what's left is some level of impurity. The, in other words, the physical world, my body, and whatever's inside my body. And so um, as, we, as the soul comes back into the body in the morning, as we wake up, those impurities get pushed out to the extremities of our body. And in particular, they get pushed out to our fingers and into our fingertips. So we pour water over both hands right, left, right, left, right, left, to wash off the impurity, the spiritual impurity. However, the Vilna Ga'an, the great sage, says that it would be good to pour the fourth time as well, because after three pours on each hand of water, there is now, the impurity has gone out of your body, but the impurity is still sitting in the water that you've used because it made contact with your body. And the water that's now sitting on your fingertips and fingers still carries the impurity. And so you pour a fourth time to wash that water off. And then, and then you have to dispose of that water really carefully because the water now carries the impurity. So we learn in, in the Talmud, in the Gemara, Avodah Zarah, that if an idolater 
asks to use that water, you're not allowed to give it to them because we're not allowed to do anything that supports um, idol worship. And so we don't know what that idolater would use the water for, and they could well use it in a ceremony of some sort that is, that is considered idol worship, according to us. Right. So that's a little bit about physical cleanliness. Now, the connection for me is about the degree to which I need to take care of not sullying my physical world. And so I have to really slow down. My One of my daughters came home last night and talked about some food that she was given at a friend's house. And she was full, but she also didn't want to just waste the food. And um, there's one of the mitzvahs is to not waste. Bal tashchit. Um, so she ate it. Even though she was full already, she was had the awareness and the purity of heart to be clean about what she was doing in this world and not waste. So we could take this idea of washing our hands, nigelvasa, in the morning with the degree to which we're so serious about it, the degree to which we make sure we do it a fourth time, according to the Vilna Ga'an, that's the way we should act in the physical world mm -hmm. in every way. So I want to talk a little bit more now about the boundary between physical and spiritual. And because I just mentioned the uh, tractate of Talmud of Odazara, <clears throat> I want to open that up and take a, a quick look mm -hmm. at it. So on page 2a of the tractate of Avodazara, Reb Yehoshua ben Levi says, said that all the mitzvahs that Israel performs in this world will come and testify for them in the spiritual world. There's a famous commentary. So let me say that again. All the mitzvahs that Israel performs in this world will come and testify for them in the spiritual world. The commentator, the famous commentator that I just half mentioned is the Maharsha, his Rabbi Shmuel Edels, Edels. He lived um, in the second half of the 1500s. He was born in a county, in the county of Posen, which at that time was in Poland. And he says of that line, all the mitzvahs that Israel performs in this world will come and testify for them in the spiritual world. He says that when a person performs either a mitzvah or makes a mistake, that a spirit is created in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual realms. So we say there's a boundary between physical and spiritual, but there really isn't. Well, sort of. So when a spirit energy is created in the spiritual realm, it impacts the physical realm. So I just did something in the physical realm and it impacted the spiritual realm. And there's a boomerang effect that that spiritual realm, this, in other words, the spirit that's created, now impacts the physical realm. So our actions create the environment for our future actions. To quote Shel Silverstein in a song, um, Bread Upon the Water, this is what he says. And that's the bread that you cast upon the waters, doing all the heartless things you swore you'd never do. And the bread that you cast upon the waters will come floating back to you. That nice little poetic uh, piece is, uh, is a reflection of something from Pikeava, chapter 4, verse 2, or Ethics of the Fathers, where the, the Pikeava tells us that mitzvah gorerit mitzvah, 
that a mitzvah brings as a mitzvah and a mistake brings as an, another mistake. In other words, whatever we throw out there on the waters will eventually come back to us. So again, it's a, it's a warning when it comes to nukiyut, uh, to cleanliness, that if we lose our vigilance, drop our awareness, and we start to make mistakes, then more mistakes are going to come back to us. So then that brings us to the Torah portion for this week, Teruma. As I said, this entire portion is really about the building of the Mishkan. But I want to start on chapter 25, verse 2. And 25, verse 2 says, Darbel b'nei Yisrael v'ichuli, speak to the children of Israel that they take for me an offering of every person whose heart is willing you shall take my offering. Our first hint then that we should take time to purify our hearts so that we are willing to give. So this is the first commandment, and maybe it's the only commandment, that we aren't actually commanded to do it, but we're actually offered that if your heart is willing, do this. So we're then told that they're to give to build the Mishkan. Are they building a Mishkan through which to connect cleanly with God? Or is God the sanctuary? The line in verse 8 says, of the same chapter of 25, says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So it says, and let them make me a sanctuary. So it could mean, let them build a sanctuary for me. Or it could mean, actually, let, let's make God the sanctuary. Let them make me, capital M, me, a sanctuary. So perhaps this is a lesson for post-temple times like now, that we can't build a physical sanctuary, but we can give with a clean heart in order to make God the sanctuary. And it's the act of giving that becomes the channel through which we connect physical and spiritual. I want to stay with this idea that the Israelites were not commanded to give but invited to give by looking at a teaching from um, a sefer, a book called Or Rashaz, which is a book by one of the Musar greats, the altar of Kelm, that all other mitzvahs are commanded, like I just said, and this one is requested. And the altar of Kelm teaches us that God wanted to live among the people to bestow kindness. And the ultimate kindness is the energy of the Shekhinah, of the imminent uh, presence of God's energy, which would enrich our souls with the highest spirituality and the deepest joy. So since giving is a key ingredient to spiritual heights and deep joy, God gave the Israelites a chance to reach that level themselves by offering the opportunity rather than commanding. I think that's a beautiful teaching from Or Rashaz, from the altar of Kelm. So we usually end the podcast with some homework, but I'd like to introduce the homework here rather than at the end. And my offer is that we look at doing two things this week based on the altar of Kelm's teaching. That number one is that we find someone to give to and we give in such a way that you aim for a deeper joy through the act of giving, which means that you have the intention as you plan the process of giving, or as you plan to give, and then as you give, 
that your intention is to deepen joy. And then the second piece of the homework is in planning and doing that act of giving, can you be an example to others so that they become inspired to give as well? Kind of like a, a sort of pay it forward. And to do that with a pure heart requires nukiyut. That's the homework for this week. So let's come back to the Pasha then. Because the Pasha continues and describes in detail, as I said, the Mishkan, moving deeper and deeper to the final section, the Holy of Holies. And in, in chapter 26, verse 33, it says, and the veil shall divide between. And the veil is the veil that's dividing between the rest of the Mishkan and the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies. So we saw the problem of division last week when the Israelites were told not to touch the mountain. They couldn't go onto the mountain, but they also couldn't touch the mountain. And David asked the question, how do we know where the edge of a mountain is? And so now in this week's Pasha, when we're building the Kodesh Kodeshim, the Holy of Holies, we're told very clearly where the edge of a deeply spiritual place is. So I think the lesson for us today is to know when we need strict guidelines and when we can trust ourselves to have moral clarity and a clear mind and heart. In other words, sometimes we have to know very clearly what the boundary is. And sometimes we have to trust that we, we can figure out where the boundary is. So David has mentioned chocolate cake in the past. And for me, that's clear, one piece. Well, maybe. What about watching shows on a streaming channel? What'll keep my mind clear enough to grow spiritually? What about reading the news? Which is almost always bad and strengthens my already negative bias that might keep me and send me into a state of hypervigilance to stay safe in the world. And once that happens, maybe that hypervigilance keeps me away from spiritual growth because I'll be watching the physical realms with great focus and taking my attention away from spiritual growth. So it may not be so simple, or, it's, or rather it's simple, but it may be very difficult to do to figure out in each case where the boundary is so that I can maintain a level of clarity or a lack of confusion. Right? In other words, we have this constant play between physical and spiritual, and our path is to walk carefully between the two. And maybe that's a nice way um, to summarize everything I've just said in the last few minutes. I want to turn then to one way that we can strengthen our ability to be clean, to develop this trait of Nikiyut, and to not only be clean, but to stay clean. And that is through apologies and forgiveness. So, sorry, I just had to find what I was looking for, this quote that I want to read. It's from Masilat Yasharim, The Path of the Just, um, the uh, one of the most famous Musa texts by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, or the Ramchal. So he says the following, let us now turn our attention to social sins. That is to say, those that arise from interpersonal relations, such as verbal abuse, humiliating someone, giving misleading advice, tail-bearing, hating, taking revenge, taking oaths, lying, and desecrating the divine name. The derivatives of these are very numerous, and who can say, I am clean of being at fault in any of these? Watchfulness in these areas 
is so extremely difficult that it requires nikiyut. It requires cleanliness to be free of them. That's a very stern warning. So I want to turn to the Hasidic master, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Berdachev, who was bitterly persecuted by his opponents, by the opponents of the Hasidic movement, basically. And one time when he was away from home, his adversaries, of, of which there were many, put his wife and children on a dung wagon and expelled them from the town that they lived in. And Rabbi Levi Yitzchak's friends were horrified by this behavior, which was terrible. And they asked Rabbi Wolf of Jitomir to pray to bring down the wrath of God on these, um, these opponents. And Rabbi Wolf responded by saying, I'm sorry, you've come too late. Because Rabbi Levi Yitzchak is already standing in front of the ark, in other words, already standing in front of God, reciting Tehillim, reciting the book of Psalms, and praying fervently that no harm should befall these people. Now, can you or I really purify our hearts enough to be at this level? Do you get frustrated at someone who wrongs you, cuts you off in traffic, gives you the wrong change in the store, or gives you moldy fruit at the, uh, at the, at the greengrocers or, or something like that? So if you make a mistake, can you... Uh, so uh, uh, that's if they make a mistake, can you purify your heart? But if you make a mistake, do you apologize with a full heart? I want to read um, something that I found about Albert Einstein, this kind of illuminating story about the scientific discovery of the origin of the universe. I think it's kind of fitting that when Albert Einstein circulated a draft of the theory of general relativity in 1915, a colleague noticed that these new equations indicated an expanding universe. Einstein found this implication unacceptable, and he said so in no uncertain terms. Now, a decade later, along came this American astronomer, Edwin Hubble, who created a 100-inch telescope, as we know now, right, that sits um, in California, but I forget where it is in California. And Hubble observed a phenomena called stellar redshift that proved beyond a doubt that the universe is expanding. And then he published his findings in 1929. That got Einstein's attention. And so two years later, in 1931, Einstein flew from Germany to California to see Hubble's evidence firsthand. And on the spot, immediately, no delay, on the spot, Einstein showed his greatness by admitting his error. And then more telling, he later called his, his own fudged equations the biggest blunder I ever made in my life. There we have someone who makes a mistake and immediately cleanses himself so that he can apologize immediately. So the question is, can we do that too? Anytime we make a mistake, maybe it's a small mistake. Can we stand there like Einstein and go, yep, I made a mistake. I'm really sorry. And if it's a big mistake, can we say, wow, that was a big blunder. With that, I'd like to draw this podcast to a close. And I want to thank you. I want to thank David, who wasn't able to be here today. Um, a friend, a good study partner, 
and uh, and someone who I love dearly, and I hope that he and his family are well, and look forward to his return next week. And to all of you, have a great week. I hope this podcast gave you um, more of a taste of Nukiut, of cleanliness, and I encourage you to go back to the homework and look forward to seeing you next week when all being well, we will have David back, but we will also have a special guest to conclude our four-week um, work and investigation on the trait of cleanliness. Until next time, be well.